become aware of your action. It doesn't matter if you're filling a cup with water or saying something to your loved one or, you know, closing your laptop, putting it away, become aware of that action. And then how are you doing that? How are you doing that? And then can you just observe yourself acting rather than, or become curious about what is the ego desire of this? Electric Soil Podcast. Imagination is the electric soil of creation. Welcome back to Electric Soil Podcast. We are on part five with Jeff A. Living. So we have Jeff back on the show. Thanks again for coming back on, Jeff. How are you today? I'm doing great. I'm always happy to be here. I'm really enjoying our eight-part epic, is which epic. is like what we're talking, we're going to talk about today, the the Bhagavad Gita, which is part of an epic. And man, it's been a pleasure. And for you guys listening, I'm really grateful that you're here. I'm grateful you're taking the time. And wow, I really hope that everything we've shared and continue to share is eye-opening, enlightening, supportive, nurturing, all those things. So it's a pleasure. Matt, as always, thank you. Oh, totally. Yeah, I and I, I agree. I, I'm getting a lot out of it. I get the impression you're getting a lot out of it. I'm sure the listeners are Hell as yes. well. Oh, wicked man. Yeah, let's get into this. So the Bhagavad Gita. I'm, I am, I've started. Anybody that's, I guess, not familiar, I'll do a quick little Cole's notes. From my impression, obviously, you have a, a much. That, and that's why you're on the show. Is a much uh, greater, <laughs> deeper understanding, so you can share with us. But for me, the Cole's notes. It's, it's basically it's an 18 uh, chapter book. Uh, but it's, it's, it's sort of this like ancient, uh, storytelling. I, I liken it to, uh, and this might push some people's buttons, but you know, as far as like comparison to like, you know, the Bible or something along those lines where it's basically these like ancient sort of stories, analogies, uh, scenarios that, uh, pass down wisdom throughout the, the ages. And so this is sort of, um, it's a little more like if, if anybody's familiar with like the Tao Te Ching, which is a lot more sort of refined. It's almost these sim- really simple phrases that are almost puzzling and confusing. You'd really have to think about it. This obviously has a little bit more attached to the stories and so forth. But uh, the general principles in here, uh, again, just the 18. So it's like the one and then the number infinity, like eight, right? So there's there's that sort of numerology attached to it. Uh, there's a lot about like the ego dissolve. So anybody that's sort of interested in that, just getting out of your own way, uh, getting into like selfless acts as the, you know, the bridge to true abundance in, in life, just in, in the way that you approach life, uh, the, your, your interactions with people, removing that feeling of separateness and yeah, basically just wisdom passed on through story scenarios, analogies, and, uh, and that's type of thing, I guess, is that, is that a, a reasonable uh, summation, Jeff? 100%. Nice. And it, the, the Gita, the Bhagavad Gita is, it's a poem. It is, it's creative, it's art in its own right of both being applicable and, and both being, having a sense of impossibility to fully grasp. And what's really exciting, what's really interesting about that is that just like the wonderful metaphor, the proverb, you, you can never put your hand in the same river twice. You're, you're never the same person when you read the Gita before and after, and you're never the same person when you read it again. Mm. And the information, the wisdom distilled in that is cuts right to the core of the human experience. 
it cuts right to the core of every man. It's, it's, it's the conversation between God incarnate and every man. Mm. And the, we talked before about yoga teacher trainings and the pathway of really getting more into the practice of yoga and teaching it. And it's, it's in essence, a spiritual journey. It's, it's coming to terms with the big questions in life and life. Wow. When we ask big questions, there is tremendous potential in that Mm -hmm. tremendous potential and expanding. And so the Gita is an expansive, it's an expansive, yes, it's an expansive poem and song and story all wrapped in one meant to capture and, and really captivate the the deepest parts of us and so that's what's that's why it's still around that's why we still talk about it and, and even in the west i mean this is hindu mythology this is thousands of years old uh just like the greeks had their mythology and their mythological gods and deities and goddesses and um creatures and everything like that and their and their archetypes so does hindu mythology and in in the ancient east and so this this story is in the middle of a larger epic like just like the odyssey or the iliad or older texts around greek mythology this is one story and captured in the middle of the vedas in the middle of the traditional texts. And and we don't know how old the Gita really is. We don't really mm. know how old it is because it was, remember, a lot of this wisdom was passed along orally in tradition before it was written down. And so the putting a, a date on it is is around 2,000 years old, could be a little older wow. of, of where the Gita sits. And it sits in the middle of the Mahabharata. The Mahabharata is the bigger collection of Indian Hindu epics and time. And what we have here to set the stage is why the, why the Gita is so captivating is because it's, there's a, a tremendous metaphor here. And in the first chapter, the first verses, it's, it's allowing the, it's setting the stage for what's happening. And, and essentially we have a battlefield and we have, a character who's at the center of this battlefield, who's waging, about to wage a war, both internally, first the war starts internally, and also the the, the very real war, war outside uh, in the real, real experience. And that character is Arjuna, and Arjuna is a prince, and he is a mighty warrior. And so it should be really easy for him to go into battle with the exception that this time he's going into battle with his family over a, a big family dispute over who has the crown, over who gets to rule the land. And on his side of it, it's the rightful heir. His brother is the rightful heir to the crown. And so he's fighting on behalf. And what he sees when he looks out in the battlefield are uh, brothers, sisters, cousins, teachers, elders, everybody that he knows intimately. And he breaks down, literally breaks down at the very beginning and is like, what am I supposed to do with this? I would rather, I would rather not fight. I would rather die than fight my brothers and sisters. And so it brings us to this. So it's very literal in a sense that there's a war happening and a lot of people get really caught up on this idea. Is the Bhagavad Gita condoning war? Is it condoning violence, which would 
counteract the primary, the very first and foremost governing, governing principle of ahimsa, of, of nonviolence, which is one of the main principles in yoga. And it's the one we could look at first and foremost in terms of direction on our action. And yet what we do when we take the Gita to a more deep and subtle level is look at this as, as an opportunity to reflect on the war within on what's happening in the internal landscape and and really outside that first chapter which is setting up the what's at stake here everything that comes after that is about the internal battle and the question the question why am i here what it, what could possibly good come from this and the other main character in our in our journey with the gita is krishna shri krishna and, and krishna is the charioteer so you have Arjuna, who's a bow, is a bowman, he's a warrior, and he's riding in his chariot, and he has his servant, a charioteer, who happens to be the incarnation of God. And so that's what said, I get like goosebumps thinking about that. It's it's Krishna and this this manifestation of God has literally taken, put on his earth suit, so to speak, to come into this experience to share the wisdom. And that's one of the things that we that is expressed throughout the Gita and expressed throughout um, Hindu mythology is that at all times, at all generations, there's incarnations of God and we have them, we see them in many of the mystical beings that are coming out of India that, that come into this human form in order to share the wisdom, in order to bring Dharma back into uh, balance. And so God is this, in this case, uh, we'll, we'll talk more about what what is God in this context um, and God incarnate. In this case, though, it's it's the the everything that is keeping things in balance rather than in chaos. Mm-hmm. And so, in in philosophy, we have the the uh, prakriti, the matter. The this is a Sanskrit word for matter for for everything that is inanimate. And then we have animation. We have the the thing that brings energy to it. And it's those two coming together is what creates the universe. Mm -hmm. And so it's this force that wants to maintain balance that we can talk about as being the figure of God in here. So Arjuna is on the battlefield. He's surveying the field and he's overcome with it stricken. I mean, this is just, I want to articulate the feelings because it's, something that we can all, we want to be able to relate with. The goal of whoever wrote the Gita, whoever whoever expressed the Gita was to connect with the human being at the human being level is this, what am I supposed to do with this life? What am I supposed to do with it? And finally, he, when in his moment of the deepest sorrow, he consoles and he uh, confides in his charioteer who knew this was all coming, who knew that this was gonna be the opportunity to share um, the meaning of life and the spiritual process and help Arjuna piece himself back together to be what he really is, which is a warrior to go into battle. And so the first question, one one of the first questions around um, the conversation is, first of all, uh, Arjuna doesn't know that Krishna, his charioteer is God incarnate. So he starts the, he starts the conversation by, what am I supposed to do? And how could I possibly um, wage war against my family? And 
this opens up the dialogue between Krishna and Arjuna and the opening up, the unfolding of the story of what is purpose, what is life, how can we connect with God, how can we be at peace, how can we um, find meaning, essentially. And that lays out the the path of the of the book. And so we have 18 chapters and basically focused on three primary um, pursuits on the spiritual path. And Arjuna, uh, well, Arjuna is, is beautiful in his acting as the everyman in this book because he questions God. He questions and he continues to uh, offer his doubt, his skepticism, and Krishna keeps answering. And eventually at the end, Krishna this is the spoiler. Krishna gives him a taste of, uh, you know, a, a complete emergence with God, the experience of, so that everything, all doubts get cast aside. And so basically what, what we're seeing here, what we, what's unfolding in the Gita is the four primary paths of towards spiritual enlightenment. And, and Krishna is explaining these and giving examples and also expounding on what God is, what the universe is, as he does this, and what it means to connect to yoga, to come into uh, union with the divine. And he lays out the foundation of four primary paths towards this, this reaching this state of being. And the first one that he talks about is, well, or in not in particular order, and one of the interesting things about the Gita is that the order changes. And it's obvious that Krishna's intention is not to single out and, and place any more weight on any of the different paths. What he does do is he talks specifically to Arjuna, who is a warrior. And so while he does bring forth information and wisdom on the other paths, he focuses in on the ones that can help Arjuna the most in his story and in, and, in, and, and in his moment. And so those two paths are the yoga of, or the pathway of karma, karma yoga, kar, the path of karma, and the path of bhakti and the path of dhyana, meditation. And he also touches on the path of wisdom, which is jnana yoga. These are all pathways of yoga. The word yoga comes up in the Bhagavad Gita. It's one of the first places we see the word yoga as a systematized practice or, or in the, the birth stages. Because before this, Patanjali, the one who gave us the, the Yoga Sutras, had not created the system of yoga that we understand. In fact, this can be um, one of the beginnings of that. And so Krishna goes on uh, the, the journey of explaining and Arjuna intervenes with his questions, his doubts. And so what, what the paths that we have here are, and I'll start talking about those, is the path of devotion, the path of bhakti yoga. And what he means by this, and, and ultimately what the aim is to do, is to find this state of yoga, to find this present, to, again, you talked about the dissolution of the ego, the dissolving of the ego. And in this story, I want to address this before I go into these paths, um, the, the process of stilling the mind, self-mastery, 
what is karma? What is incarnation? All of this gets addressed in the Gita, which is really exciting in a way for, for those of you listening that are curious about what is karma? What is reincarnation? What is, you know, living many different lives? And, you know, what's really beautiful is that there's a point in the story where, um, you know, Krishna, because he is the Godhead and he is manifest in this body, remembers all of his lives. He remembers all of it, all of his lives becomes because he comes into this life fully conscious. And Arjuna, even though Krishna knows that they have met many lifetimes before, this is Krishna, uh, this is Arjuna's first time remembering in this life his connection with God, which is super special in a way. So getting into the pathways and the, and the most, I'd say the most important pathway here is the one of karma and understanding what is action and what is karma and how this plays a role in our incarnations and in our lifetime. And so it goes into the, the deep philosophy, the deep understanding of living through patterns and, fi- and eventually finding unity, finding uh, divine in our action. And so what happens when we act? So the, the, we've talked, I believe we talked about this before. Action is, is essential. Action is, as being in a human body, there is no inaction. Choosing to eat, choosing to stay alive is action. Even if you're in the most depressed state, you're still taking action. You're still taking the next breath. It's an action, right? That being said, what is the discernment? What is, where is the wisdom coming in between what is right action? Because Arjuna is here in shambles about the action that he's about to take of possibly killing his family, his, you know, his brothers and sisters and, and even teachers and uncles and everything like that. And so Krishna seeks to uh, transcend this idea of action and, and, and go into more like what is the dharma behind the action. You're a warrior. Your action is to be a warrior. And if everything has set you up to be in this position, you must act in alignment with your dharma Mm. because it is the, the wrong assumption. It's, it's a faculty of mine that because I take this action, I know the consequences of that. And therefore I start to take responsibility for the fruit of that action, or I have an attachment therefore to the fruit of that action. So Krishna has an attachment to the fruit of his action. Sorry, Arjuna, this is Arjuna, the, the warrior, has an attachment to the fruit of his action. And Krishna is telling him that he must understand that he has no right to that fruit because he does not know how things play out. He does not know the ultimateness the completeness of life, but what he does have is his action and his dharma, and this is what it is. Mm. And so it's it's this understanding that, okay, we have these, first of all, it's, it's a breaking down the different layers of the mind and the mental process, right? And then it is the understanding how we develop and accumulate karma. And it's also this understanding baked into the reincarnation of things that all we are is spirit, spirit, divine spirit, donning a meat suit to come in or, or a human body to come in and work through this karma and work through this, go through this journey as being a human to work through 
these patterns, this karma, these feelings, everything that we experience as a human being. And so when we take action, it's not that we take action or inaction, which is still action. It's the disposition with which we are taking action. And is mm. that in alignment with our karma? And, and what that means is, is to be completely unified with oneself or the greater, the whole, while, while maintaining being an actor, while being human, right? Mm. While being. And so it's, it's the disentanglement of how we get wrapped in emotionally with the attachment to how we act. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that this is just, this, this is written for me. It's written for you. It's written for me. It's, it's, it cuts to the core when we are so often looking at the surface of what's happening. And it's less about the action and more about the embodiment of the action. And mm -hmm. is that in alignment with who you are? Because then if we are acting in alignment with who we are, with who we are authentically, and, and remember that Krishna is saying throughout this that everything that I give you, everything here in this incarnation, you came here to get you more close to your highest truth. Mm. So everything, everything is there to get you closer to your highest truth. And then it's about recognizing Am I acting in alignment with my dharma? Well, first of all, getting into a place where I can even connect with what that is. And so this comes into the place. And in this story, we're bouncing around different ideas, different pathways. Because as much as this is a poem and it is a, a philosophical poem, it's also very, very practical. So it's saying, here's the ways in which you can be become in order to be here's your pathways of becoming and so the the understanding that action is divine if as soon as we get our ego our right sense of i-ness uh withdrawn from that then we are living in our dharma we're living in our truth and karma the karmic package which sows us it sows us it attaches us to this life to this process of reincarnation starts to burn it starts to dissolve otherwise if we're acting in accordance with the ego with selfish desire or out of fear or out of anger out of all these different things we continue to build the stock of karma we are reacting it is being in reaction to life rather than to being an actor so it's and here comes and here comes the process of yoga the distilling process the spiritual burning away of the ego of well i need to be able to get myself in a path to be able to take that quality of action to to hold that presence of mind to have god in me as i'm acting rather than acting on behalf of my selfish ego self so it's very humbling to see that okay how do I disentangle myself from this ego, from this selfishness? Because it seems so real and so uh, who I am and why I, what, what motivates me, what drives my desires. And then there's this very interesting on the spiritual path, this fear that comes in of if I renounce, if I give up all of that, if I burn it all away, then I'm just going to be a vegetable. I'm not going to be able to do anything. I'm not going to have any purpose. I'm not going to feel alive. And 
that's the that's one of the illusions to work through is that when all of that goes away, we're no longer fulfilling the sense of I, we're working on something bigger. We feel that expansion, we feel and connect in with that divinity. And all of the action we take becomes absolutely tireless because we're we've gotten into that deep spring of energy that is divine. And so then, of course, Krishna, uh, sorry, Arjuna brings up this question. And it's like, well, how am I supposed to act then? How, how can I bring myself to, to act in that way? And to which Krishna answers is you have to learn to, to master your mind. You have to learn how to withdraw your emotions from this. You have to learn how to become still and even in mind. And one of the biggest principles in the Gita is to be the same, is to be of like mind or like feeling or like embodiment, whether something happens in your favor or whether something happens not in your favor. Because remember, it's this remembering, which a, a quick departure, it's, I've, I've heard that uh, the word remember is the most used word in, in the Bible. Mm. And it's, so it's, it's perfectly, it's perfectly, um, it makes perfect sense to relate these two texts together because mm. it is a conversation between God and every man about right. how to live, how to live. Hmm. And so Krishna is, is enveloped and curious in this, how do I get to that place of simply acting without being self-involved? And it mm. seems like a mystery. It seems like a mystery. And so these pathways that Krishna begins to lay out are all means to that end, are all ways to get to that state of being. And in karma, the action here, karma yoga, all of these will be aligned with yoga. Like a, a yoga, we could say, is unity through action. Connection to the divine through action. And the others, connection to the divine through devotion, through bhakti. Connection to the divine through wisdom. Connection to the divine through meditation. And so what happens on the spiritual journey, and this is, this is something that, you know, a scholarly approach, a person who's interested in unraveling the great mystery of the Gita is understanding that, that it's very unlikely that we follow just one of these paths. We are interacting with these paths um, throughout our journey, throughout our life process, and we are using all aspects of all of them in our evolution. So the, 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 the pathway of karma to connect to the divine through action is, to, is asking of the individual to become present with, to become mindful of, how am I in this action? How am I in this action? Am I expecting? Am I having a desire or an attachment to what comes next? Or am I simply acting? Am I simply of even mind, no matter what happens. And therefore the, the divine connection comes, comes into giving this action up to something bigger, mm. giving something up, giving this up to something bigger. So the question comes in again, Arjuna needs to know, how can I do that without my ego? How can I do that without this sense of self, these desires, these wants, these, 
selfish impulses. And so we move into a different topic. We move into a different approach. And that is the approach of meditation, this dhyana, this immersion of mastering the mind. And so we've talked about that at great length is this mastering of the mind is the process of knowing oneself through the mind. Because the fear here, remember, is that if I don't, ha- if I don't act out of selfish desire, then what the hell am I going to do? It's, it's not knowing what's on the other side of that. And on one side, that's very scary. On the other side, it's very exciting. How do I act if I'm completely immersed? How do I act if I'm completely connected with God in every moment? And so the principle here is to still the mind and to practice meditation, practice yoga. And through this piece, dhyana, the, the, the pathway of practicing meditation, we get all the most of the yoga that we know today as Raj Yoga, as Royal Yoga, the practice of self-mastery. Because I need to be able to master my mind so that when I act, it's of a divine will, not my own will. And and why? Like why? Well, we see Krish, we see Arjuna here just completely suffering. So he's suffering because of his mental attachments, his like the attachment to this ego state and this belief, this illusory belief that I know what happens if I act in accordance with my dharma. And so there's the suffering. So there's the the why in order to elevate ourselves out of that, in order to act righteously, in order to act in accordance with our dharma. And so the whole process of stilling the mind, we've, we've talked about this a lot, of when the mind becomes, this is something that came to me, when the mind becomes still, life is what moves. Mm. And I think that is really, really, really beautiful, is part of this is, it's, it's beautiful to see how all of these are interacting with each other because when the mind becomes still, life is what moves, then action becomes without the attachment, then wisdom comes from that. We, we grow wise through action. We grow wise through learning by acting in the life, especially when we're not attached to it because what happens when we get attached to it, we get wrapped up into a story. And that story is, that, is the, exactly that thing we're identifying with. The story becomes the mechanism through which the ego seeks to reinforce and bolster itself. That's another way of looking at karma. It's another way of saying I'm, I'm creating new karma for myself. Mm. And, and that means I'm, I'm not in the phase or in the trajectory of learning my lessons and evolving past this life. And so we might have a karma it's very interesting to hear Sadhguru. Sadhguru is one of the Indian mystics of the day who's excellent talk about karma is that you come into this life with tremendous amount of karma and you're only here to work out this karma of this life. Most, most of the time, huh? It's, it's so interesting. I, I wanted to bring that up actually. So I've been, I've been listening to, I love, I love his voice and his presentation. He has a lot of humor behind what is otherwise very, uh, engaging deep subject matter, but he has a, such a present charming presentation where he's very humorous as well. He's a very funny guy. If you listen to him interviewed and just an amazing voice to listen to that being sad guru. And he has, okay, I want to, I want to interpret. There's a couple things I want to, uh, just interject with quickly, Jeff, uh, mm-hmm. a perfect part. Cause you brought him up in the book karma by, by Shad guru or sad guru. How do you sad guru? Sad guru. Yeah. 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 There's a, there's a quote that he has that, that really struck me. 
and I'm still in the stage of sort of interpreting what it means and I'm wondering if you could give me a hand with it. And it's all about the action in action. Uh, you know, there, there is no true inaction. Like you said, there's, there's always breathing. There's always this and that. But the quote is, hesitation is the greatest sin. And I thought about that. I'm like, well, isn't hesitation, you know, let's unpack it a little bit. There's, uh, there's one of the principles that I champion now is temperance to be, the, be, to be able to sit with something. We talk about stillness. So is stillness not a form of hesitation? How is hesitation the greatest sin? Obviously, you have to contextualize it. But just as a phrase, I found it very, uh, it's really struck me because I was like, well, how is that? Because before, when I was younger, I would never hesitate. And that was how I learned was, was uh, falling on my face and, and being way too spontaneous. So how is hesitation then uh, considered a, a, a sin? So I guess we'll start with that and I have a couple other things just to quickly circle back to as well. Of but. course. Of course, I'll do my best to put my coat of paint, <laughs> to yeah. put my perspective on that. And so it, it, again, it comes back to, so we want to come back to the, to the essence and that if hesitation is the greatest sin, remember hesitation itself is also an action. Mm. And so action being in the process, action is living in the process. And it's, it's like a fire that burns away everything that is illusory to us. Mm. And so remember hesitation as an action itself. So it's not a pause. It's not a reprieve mm. from action. It's not not acting. It's standing by the fire instead of jumping into it. Ah. What, 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 whatever it is, right? Because whether that fire is, is a part of our dharma or we are mistaken in our dharma, we can learn from that mistake if we if we take that action and we find out that it isn't it wasn't resulting in the correct um alignment mm. then then it becomes our teacher but hesitation is the it in that way i can completely see what he's talking about as the ultimate sin it's being on the fence mm. rather than being in the arena ah, and yes. so it's it's in this idea of karma it's it's spinning it's like just being in a and and what is basically a hell on earth, a purgatory, mm. th this idea of hesitation that I'm talking about. Right. Right? Totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. I also want to circle back to you, and you touched on it, but I think I want to put a little bit of emphasis on it to the listeners here as far as uh, when you're talking about uh, the main tools of the ego that, that really hold you back and get in your way that's illustrated in the Bhagavad Gita is selfishness and anger. They, they harp on that a bit and it really makes sense because that is, those are true reactionary uh, expressions of the ego. I think is when you're, you're, you're doing something for yourself. Like you say, you're identifying with the expectation of what's to come, what's, what's in it for you versus, you know, what's in it for the greater good. Right. So and anger, of course, anger, frustration, um, you know, the manifestation of that when something doesn't quote unquote go your way, again, attached to these expectations of the ego and the ego is, has an end game in mind, which I can uh, obviously in your mind, you can see where that comes from because there's a degree of goal setting and all that. But the actual end, the whole idea is the end, end goal, and this is my interpretation of it, mm -hmm. has to be open and you have to be uh, accepting of what comes your way and that's where you get into that okay there is no good or bad there just is and then you are it's up to you to control your uh 
uh, response to it, as opposed to this reactionary, you know, if somebody hits you in the knee and you kick your leg out, you, you take it and you go, you sit with it for a minute and that's the stillness. And then you're like, okay, no, I've been through this before, you know, and then there's the wisdom. So you can really see where these different layers factor in. But I just found it, I, I really wanted to sort of emphasize the whole, uh, the two, uh, just everybody, listeners to be aware of the two, I guess, main tools of the ego, of my interpretation of it is the selfishness and anger. Right. And it's to remember uh, the global, uh, the, the bird's eye view of the intention of the Bhagavad Gita, of the intention of the conversation is to walk towards unity, right? To walk towards connection with the divine, connection with the divine, which is, which is an, it's, it actually, it isn't an afterthought in this. It is spelled out in this with the, with the reader in mind, you know, being open to that because in our Western society, we're so closed off to this. Often we're so we're more closed off to the idea of the divine. There's, there's Mm. a lot of doubt and a lot of um, inability to grasp that connection with the divine. And this is what yoga is. This is what yoga is. And we can talk about, this is an experiential lived experience that a human being can, can have, can embody is that connection with the divine. What does that look like? It looks like utter peace, utter bliss, complete contentment. In this complete acceptance for everything that is as it is. And then acting and, and then acting in accordance to then what's my dharma, right? Mm-hmm. And then so if if we look at the perspective that the arms and legs of the ego are this selfish selfishness and anger, what two things are more disconnecting than those mm. of if we're going to walk the path towards connection, towards unity, it's the selfishness and the anger. And, and I would say many other um, faculties that come from many other um, experiences, emotions, behaviors that come from that selfishness as well that are disconnecting. Mm. They are disconnecting. And so it's that it's very, very subtle but the shift is to, and remember, we're in our, I'm saying remember tons. I've primed myself. <laughs> um, we're looking at ourselves as a process. This is a process. It's a step-by-step process. It's like we're given a, a life in order to, to sort this out for this incarnation, this life, right? And it can be, a. this is why reading the Gita several times over the course of a lifetime is so valuable because we'll see the progress we've made. And, and at one time, anger and selfishness was completely different, mm-hmm. right? Five years later of a spiritual journey, of course, there might still be anger there. There might still be frustration or um, irritability and self-centeredness. And look how it's transformed. Look how different it is. And then look at how much more connected to life you are. And so we can see this process unfolding. Anger is incredibly reactive. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. When we when we bring anger to any kind of dispute, it is it's only going to build that. 
it's it's so it can be so triggering and so reinforcing of the disconnection and anger is rooted in and and it's being a tyrant it's being completely self-centered selfish yes self-motivated yeah no this is uh this is great stuff i also want to um just quickly bring up uh, just the word assumption because we kind of sort of hinted at that as well as far as that's where it comes in you know assumption like the word manipulation certain words that have sort of negative connotations but if you have the assumption under the context of faith-based assumption where you you are removing yourself from the outcome and you are if you're working on your principles yourself and you're working out of that as your roots system, so to speak, and the rest of it, you're just open to, you have uh, an acceptance of everything that's going to happen because there is a faith-based assumption that what you are, the path you are on is the path that you're supposed to be on because you're staying true to yourself. So that's where you can kind of get out of that uh, ego-based expectation of an outcome and I like the word assumption under this guise because usually assumption, you always hear that, well, that makes an ass of you and me and blah, blah, blah. And in that context, completely different. But in this context, and that was, was a bit, um, you know, just because you get used to hearing words a certain way or the phrased a certain way or in a certain context. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, how is assumption good? I've always heard the same thing with manipulation. Manipulation is a bad thing, right? But it's under this, uh, you know, course of action or this context, uh, assumption is very much uh, what you would put in place of expectation i would think is is yeah what do you, what do you i guess what's your take on that on that statement it is the it's the ultimate test it's really it's really the ultimate test and and again we have to evaluate our and be discerning and this is where the wisdom comes in the wisdom of yoga if our actions are are of selfless nature right because then if I, and if i can understand that and be connected with that, then I can then make my, we'll say, assumption or that trust, that deep belief in, in what I'm doing. Again, without the, without the, the attachment. And believe me, for you guys listening uh, and for you, Matt, like this is stuff I'm, I'm working on. Like I work on all of this. It's, it's not like I, I understand it and I've had glimpses of it. However, when you talk about hesitation, when you talk about um, you know, ego and everything like that. I still am 100% figuring that out in terms of my process, but I can absolutely see my process. Mm. I can see my process and that's, and that's, what's amazing. And one of the tools to, to get back into this conversation with Krishna and Arjuna, mm-hmm. as Arjuna continues to question how to dissolve the ego or how to work through karma or how to act righteously without attachment or how to give oneself up to God, one of the tools and awarenesses that Krishna elaborates for Arjuna is, is the, the, the nature of the mind or the nature of matter itself. And so he goes into this conversation of the three gunas, the three primary building blocks of the material universe that manifests on all layers from the most dense and, su- and, and obvious to the most subtle of our experience. And this gives us a pathway and an understanding and an awareness where we can be self-aware, where we can pay attention and then start to, well, we act from that place of paying attention because then we can act towards 
we can act towards what brings more stillness in me, what brings more quiet in me, what brings more peace, what brings more reverence, what brings more, et cetera, et cetera. And the three gunas, this is something that I teach a lot when I'm teaching Ayurveda. Ayurveda is the science of living healthy, living well, and it goes right alongside with yoga. Yoga and Ayurveda are, we could call them sister sciences. And the three gunas are that of, in the Sanskrit word, because there's not really an easy way to bring a, a translation to it. Tamas, that which is everything that is dull, uninspired, um, inanimate, the most gross, meaning gross, meaning like the, the most material, dense form of things. Uh, rajas, which is the movement. So it's like you can think of the, the, the purification process. Actually, this is, this is the awareness of the mechanics of the purification process to go from, uh, let's say, raw iron that has raw iron being the element, the, the material that has all these imperfections in it, the, all these impurities in it. And you would go into the phase of rajas, which is the excitement. It's the movement. It's the heat. It's the transformation as well. And rajas is, is where most of us human beings are caught up in. And it's this, this busyness of mind. It's this undecidedness, this hesitation, this, this trying, this striving, this um, fraught with looking for an identity or, or looking for um, how can I how can I satisfy my ego pleasures rather than give that up to something else? And so this is, ex this is excitement of the mind and it's built like it's that karmic building up. And so with the next phase of that is the purification. It's the stillness. It's the, the divine. It's sat the word for this is sattva. It's the, it's the cleanliness. It's the kindness. It's the e e equanimity of mind equanimity of mind. It's the ability to be same in whatever circumstance. And here's what's very interesting is so we have the three gunas and there's something else. And this is where it gets really cool for me is we have the one who's observing this. So we can see the gunas and I use the example, a hybrid example of a raw material, iron, being melted down into uh, purification and so all this heat is coming in. And then when it cools off, you get a new material that is of a higher quality, mm. of a higher uh, integrity, of a higher, well, karma, we can say like that. And so we do this in our own life many, many different times. We go through these phases of here's the raw material, here's the process, and here's the the outcome. Here's, here's the new version. Here's the transformed version. And then life, as we are just karma machines, life is, we are here with more to work on and we work on that and we do that. So life becomes this constant iteration, this human life, this human being experience becomes a constant iteration of here's the, here's the challenge. It's like the hero's journey. It's like, here's the challenge. Here's the raw material. Here's the doubt. Here's the insecurity. Here's the selfishness and anger. Work with it because it's going to bring stuff up in you. And then how do we 
do that? How do we work with that? It's by cultivating this stillness of mind, this ability to connect with that, I'll call it a fourth party in this trio of, of tamas, rajas, sattva, the three gunas, the three plays, the three players in, in all material universe. And then we have the awareness, the one who can watch that. So here's the example. It's like, okay, so if I give everything up to God, that means I'll never be joyful again. I'll never be exciting again. Not so. If it's in your personality, if it's in your dharma, if it's who you are authentically to experience that, then you're going to experience it. It's when we get attached to it and try to hold on to it that we start to build the karma again. Same thing with sadness and grief, sadness, anger, frustration, irritability, all the things that we want to run away from. It's like, how can I be with that too? How can I be of even mind when those feelings arise? And, and to simply be an observer of that and watch, they say, the play, the play, sorry, Siri thought I said, said her name, uh, the play of the gunas. So we're, we're, we're being, we're given, we're gifted the opportunity to cultivate this awareness so we can just watch ourselves unfolding as a human being rather than always being in, in the war. Mm. So this, this teaching is that Arjuna can be a warrior. He can, he can be a warrior and experience his glory. He can experience the, the sadness of killing of, fighting against his brothers and sisters. He can experience all of these, but he can observe it. And then what happens when you're, then what happens when you're acting out your Dharma? So it's, so he's, uh, Krishna is being a very wise teacher and saying that you have this idea of what the outcome is going to be. And it's outside of who you are. Everything in your life is getting you prepared, setting you up to be who you are. So, so be that. And it isn't a condoning of the war. It's, it's, it's saying confront, confront life, like go into life instead of avoiding it, instead of that hesitation. Mm. This is good. This is good. Coming back to what Sadhguru said. It is. Oh, that's perfect. It's, it's yeah, exactly. It came right back into, to that uh, point of interruption that I created uh no that's great man that's uh as always just so well spoken and you just yeah you shed shed a whole different uh light on this i think uh safe to say that a lot of the listeners will be intrigued by this i i mean i hadn't even necessarily heard of the bhagavad gita until recently i'd heard of wayne dyer talks about it a lot any fans of mm-hmm. wayne dyer he talks a lot about the Tao Te ching he has books about it specifically trying to live by the code of the Tao Te ching and, and he mentions this book a fair bit so and just from the conversations I've been having with you, Jeff, I was inspired to, uh, to, to, yeah, I, I just looked, I'm like, is this even something that would be an audiobook of? And sure enough, there is. Uh, so anybody that's more of an audiobook person, I uh, can definitely get that on Audible or any of the, you know, the platforms yes. that way, which is great uh, because it is quite dense uh, as far as, I mean, there's a lot of information here that you'll want to kind of circle back and listen to, to your point time and time again. It is a, uh, something that you'll keep with you for chances are the rest of your life, right? You're going to revisit it and so forth. So it is uh, one of those types of uh, books. So uh, I do have it on audiobook uh, form. But yeah, man, this is great. Um, I know we didn't go through 
I'm glad we spend some time on karma because we have talked about karma in a few different uh, previous episodes that we've done. So we really spent some more time on that. And I, I really like and appreciate uh, where, we, where we took it from there. Uh, you know, kind of as we wind down here, Jeff, is there anything else you want to uh, to bring up as far as should we go back to any more of the, the building blocks there? Or have we kind of touched base on, on a lot of that now, uh, in your opinion? That's it, man. And I, and I appreciate that. There's, there's nothing quite like getting the Gita, the Bhagavad Gita in, in your life and allowing it to work because it's one of those texts that you read it and it, it's still working. It's still, it's asking the biggest questions that a human being can ask. It's asking the most important questions that a human being can ask. And it's seeking to reconcile meaning of life here on earth in this body. And it's big. And one of the important things to remember is that even when um, Krishna expounds all of the wisdom and, and the paths of yoga, still there is this the seed of doubt or this, you know, the question living within Arjuna. And what 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 Krishna does for Arjuna is he gives him a taste of that godliness of being completely immersed in the all in the universe and in essentially dissolving everything that is an ego and being one with the universe. So it's, it's the feeling, the experience that words could not even touch. And then all doubt is removed. Krishna then knows, and it was just a taste. And it's, uh, it's something that is uh, visited often in the spiritual uh, paths, the spiritual worlds, that we live in, that there's so many different communities that are around yoga, whether it's the yogic path or more of a uh, shamanic path, plant medicine path. It is that that taste of that experience, you get it when you're ready for it. Mm. You get it when you're ready for it. And so the, what can we do up to then is to just prepare ourselves. And that's the practice of meditation, of yoga, of uh, purifying, purification through the th understanding the three gunas, physical, mental, emotional purification, identifying as the observer. And how, so, so the very practical way, and I would love to leave this in a practical way is like, become aware of your action. It doesn't matter if you're filling a cup with water or saying something to your loved one or, you know, closing your laptop, putting it away. Become aware of that action and then how are you doing that? How are you doing that? And then can you just observe yourself acting rather than, or become curious about what is the ego desire of this? Am I acting out of ego desire? We're not always acting out of ego desire. It's only when we're building that reinforcement, this attachment to this sense of I that we're doing that when we think that we need to be right about something or when we think that we need to assert ourselves in a, in a way that creates disconnection rather than connection. So those are the things to pay attention to and read the Gita. And there are the, my favorite version of the Gita is the, the one by Eknath Aswari and I have it on audio and it's introduced and translated and it is, the Gita itself is just a poem. It's a few lines of a few pages. However, there's thousands of books written on interpreting, translating, um, 
And that's what makes, that's like, that's why it's so fascinating because it's absolutely captivating to understand the biggest questions that we can ask and to understand that there's pathways to reaching the ultimate goal. If you have, if you're um, oriented, oriented towards a spiritual aim in life, so, or to realizing God or to realizing truth, the deepest aspects of herself, that which has no price, absolutely no price, but the price of admission is to come here on earth, suffer being a human and hopefully burn our karma and work through it to experience the taste of, of the nectar of, of being connected with everything. So the, the very practical thing is to just pay attention, pay attention, observe, and um, do, for you listening, please, hopefully this sparked your curiosity. Grab a copy of that and listen to it and be curious about it. Be Arjuna, be Arjuna, because Arjuna is every man, every person. Every person has these questions. Every person wants to know the answers to this. The second we're unhappy, it's funny because it's the second we're unhappy with life, unsatisfied with life, that we start to wonder what the hell is going on. But even then is an opportunity to, dis- to not disconnect, but to detach and still confront, mm. to, go, to go into battle. Love it. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Jeff. I look forward to uh, to getting you back on. Uh, Pleasure, brother. Thanks, man. And uh, yeah, just a hint for everybody at home, a little bit of spoiler. The next episode is going to be all about breath. So very important. Seems like a simple uh, thing to talk about, but man, there is a lot to talk about with breath, proper breathing, the importance of breathing, identifying what type of breathing that you have. So it's going to be a very interesting episode, I promise. And as always, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on. And, uh, you know, at a time of airing, this is right in the holiday season. So happy holidays to all the listeners and to yourself as well. And uh, yeah, look forward to having you on in the new year in 2022. So thank you so much. Thank you, Matt. It's always a pleasure. Thanks, listeners. Thank you for listening. This is a joy. 